Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast episode 122. Podcast episode 112 for the week ending February 17th, 2022. Welcome one and welcome all. We've got a lot to cover. Market's a little weak today on the Russian noise. Uh, we'll get to that uh, here before the close and uh, want to kick it off by uh, doing the quick media. I uh, want to thank uh, Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on the Clayman Countdown Fox Business yesterday to discuss who's the bigger threat, uh, Vladimir Putin or Jay Powell. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as we move forward. Thanks to Ellie Terrett and Liz. And then I want to thank uh, Paul Gray over at the Capital Allocators Roundtable uh, podcast and uh, for having me on. This was a nice 30-minute uh, uh, segment he did with me and another uh, hedge fund manager, long short manager, and uh, a commercial insurance broker. Uh, but very interesting on biotech, on Russia, on the Fed, on banks, on uh, China tech. So it goes into a lot and it's more uh, drawn out because it's not on regular TV. So there's a lot more time that you can talk. Uh, I enjoy that format. So thanks to Paul Gray. I uh, also want to thank uh, Bansari Kamdar, Noel Randowich, and Devik Jain for including me in their article last Friday. Uh, that was the first noise about Russia. Well, I mean, there's been noise about Russia going into Ukraine for a month now, so it's not like the market doesn't know this. It's probably a sell the rumor by the news, uh, either an actual attack or uh, a pullout. My, my guess is a pullout, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, the quote was, we just have to see how it plays out over the weekend, whether or not international leadership can bring this under wraps. Uh, if not, the knock-on effects could be material, but that's what the market is worried about. Yeah, I I'm going to quantify material because it's probably less uh, of a big deal than most people think. Um, certainly could be knock-on effects, but um, I, I don't think it's going to move in that direction. The other thing, I googled Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes podcast this week. And I guess when I post it on Anchor, it syndicates to all these different places like um, uh, Apple and Spotify and, you know, a bunch of others. But I see here on Apple Podcasts that they do reviews. And I want to thank this person a couple weeks ago, put this really nice quote out uh, or review rather. And his name is Glass DP. Uh, January 17, 2022, the best is the title. Tom is the smartest guy in the markets right now. All right, uh, now I'm blushing. That shares his research. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> okay, I, yeah, may, I might be the smartest guy that shares my research. Uh, lots of supposedly smart people, but they're secretive. Tom's investments are public and free on this podcast. My big investments, not, not the whole portfolio. Uh, I've made stunning amounts of money following this guy. He's a great person too. Insane respect for his contributions to the investment community. Uh, that is probably the nicest review I've ever gotten, even better than the ones that my mom gave me when I was a hockey player. So uh, uh, thank you very much for putting that out, Glass DP. The Varen put one out also. I've uh, been listening for six months. Every week Tom provides actionable items for real results. He has a unique market perspective so far has been spot on. So uh, listen to one episode and I'm hooked. Presented, uh, Tom Hayes presented a logical analysis of today's market brought forward uh, inf 
informative empirical data. So this is really nice. Um, you know, if you're not a client uh, for money management, which you know a lot of people can't because of the the minimums, uh, or in the trade service, and you want to give back in some way, uh, nice reviews are always welcome. And then also on YouTube, and a lot of people don't leave YouTube because I embed it right into the Hedge Fund Tips website. But if you click on the video uh, in the Hedge Fund Tips website, you'll see on top, you can do that. And like Drew B, great insights again. Congrats on uh, passing 3,000 subscribers, uh, onwards and upwards. Zoo Rush, you're fantastic. Thanks for the great video, um, uh, etc. So yeah, if you, if you are able to do that, that's always appreciated. Uh, but I really wanted to, like, I've never seen a compliment that nice, like literally glass DP. That was just, uh, made my day. Um, okay. Moving on right along. Let's get to the audience. Ask me anything questions. Um, so first one comes from JT. Tom, thank you for all the effort that goes into your weekly podcast. Yeah. So you guys actually do these really nice reviews. You just do them privately on the questions, uh, which is also appreciated. Uh, effort that goes into your weekly podcast, which is excellent. And I hope you continue doing this as a way to help all the retail investors and develop a disciplined approach to develop a disciplined approach to investment management. I would appreciate your view on how to play the recovery in the auto sector, given the supply chain has depleted dealer inventories to historically low levels and the OEMs are unable to meet market demand as the chip shortage and other supply chain congestion are major obstacles that are likely to continue during first half of 2022. Any lessons from the great financial crisis recovery that ring a bell given the auto sector rebounded nicely from the last severe recession and the customer is pent up and has money to spend. Thanks again, JT. Yeah, this is an unconventional one, but um, you know, the, the, Auto stocks have run up a lot on, you know, the EV narrative and uh, all the other stuff that goes into that. So um, I like Intel, okay? And, and this uh, comes right from Investor Relations. Intel CEO predicts chips will be more than 20% of premium vehicle BOM by 2030. Intel outlines plan to ramp chip production and help the automotive industry customers modernize designs to leverage leading edge uh, silicone. And uh, Pat Gel CEO Pat Gelsinger, Gelsinger predicts the digitization of everything uh, will push share of semiconductors to in the total new premium vehicle bill of materials to more than 20% by 2030, up more than five times from 4% in 2019. Uh, the total addressable market will more than double to $115 billion, approximately 11% of the entire silicon market. Uh, and Intel's building new chip manufacturing uh, facilities in Europe and the FOBs you know, and they just did that acquisition, plus they have Mobileye, et cetera. So I think, you know, Intel is one, one component that's in monster demand that is trading at a very reasonable valu valuation on a turnaround restructuring plan. That's a uh, high quality company that is uh, just, just uh, it, it, there's upside opportunity. It, it hasn't already priced in the good news uh, that you're talking about with the, uh, you know, Fords and the uh, GMs of the world, which are still trading at low multiples, but a lot has to go right. I mean, uh, these things are up, you know, five and six X in a year. That's not, that's not usually, that doesn't mean it can't go up another five or six, but it's not usually where I like to, uh, uh, enter these things. So uh, Intel, on the other hand, can give you runway and it's a nice derivative play and you get two bites in the apple. You also get 
uh, reasonable, reasonably valued uh, chip exposure, which is, which is a good thing. Um, all right, moving right along. Uh, Mikhail Bobkoff. Hi, Tom. Big thanks, as always, for, your ma for making your podcast. I look forward to hearing from them hearing them every week. I especially enjoy hearing your analysis and contrarian view on your high condition plays over the years from Wells Fargo to Exxon to Alibaba to biotech right now. What's your opinion on Texas Instruments? It seems to be a bit of a forgotten stock in, among the semiconductors. Trading at a low forward PE of uh, 18, it traded like this last time in 2018, and it did not trade this cheaply in the crash of 2020. They have good track record of growing earnings and free cash flow and using their free cash flow to increase dividend and share repeat purchases over the years. It's a good stock to hold forever. Uh, also would like to know your general thoughts on Meta, PayPal, Netflix. Now that they've all dropped a lot recently, Meta is especially trading very cheaply. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing your opinion, not advice. Best regards, Mikkel. That is correct. This is all opinion, not advice. I don't know what your financial situation is. I deal with accredited investors. Click on terms at hedgefundtips.com. Um, okay, so... Um, you know, the common narrative for the semiconductor chips right now is that it, it, this is secular because of the demand from things like cars and uh, Internet of Things, etc. You know, historically, the, chips, the chip business was nearly as cyclical as the uh, oil business or the steel business, and, uh, and it just ran in cycles. Um, there's no question that, you know, you know, this is a chart of uh, Taiwan Semiconductor here. There's no question that uh, Taiwan is, is kind of semiconductor is best in class uh, and it generates a ton of cash. And I mean, let's just take a look here and it has a moat. Um, all right. So let's just pull up some data here on ta Taiwan Semi. And I think you're going to see that what he's saying bears out uh, correctly. You know, if you look at the revenue per share, it's grown from two to 10. Um, dividends per share, they continue to increase the dividends. Free cash flow, they continue to increase that. Uh, it's down a little bit in the last month. Uh, their margins are uh, growing. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, Intel's coming for them, by the way, with, with, with the uh, high-end chips and everything else. Their return on equity is strong above market return on equity they're uh, consistently and growing their return on invested capital is uh, above market i mean what's not to love here um other than the fact that it's run up so much um let's just see what are next year's earnings i mean it looks like a lot like um the way Amazon is trading, just from a market's perspective, uh, TSM. Okay, so, is this thing not letting me? I don't know, this thing's not, not working. Okay, so, uh, Yahoo's not working right now. All right, so, um, is it an everything stock? I mean, look, if, if I want semi-exposure right now, 
you know, we're in an environment that, you know, rates are going to modestly increase, uh, which brings the value of future cash flows down. Uh, I want to I kind of deal with more special situations where a lot of bad news is priced in and they can only go up. Taiwan Semiconductor, like if they keep growing like this, the stock is cheap. There's no question about it. But the increased rates will bring the multiple down. Um, $4. If this is correct, let me see. If that's correct, $4, then you're looking at a 25 times multiple versus a uh, 18 times multiple. And that's a little rich in this environment, even though they're growing, they're compounding capital at that rate, and it's a low peg. I mean, look, nothing is a set and forget forever, other than maybe the S&P, if you're hedged by, so, uh, okay, that's trailing. Okay, for some reason, all right, so I would say I'd rather have Intel here, uh, just because although... The narrative is that this is going to be a secular cycle for chips. Uh, I think you could get a glut coming out of this when, when all is said and done. So it's going to six, six thirty. Six times two is twelve. Yeah, you're right. It's eighteen times. Uh, One hundred sixty price target. I mean, this thing is probably okay. I mean, I, I can't find any flaws, but I just like a larger margin of safety. Um, but this is a higher quality business than Intel is right now. The idea is that a few years out, Intel is going to be this type of business, and you're saying, why not just buy this business now? This looks exactly like Amazon, by the way, which um, uh, Dan Loeb came out with and said, look, it's trading exactly the same way. Um, came out and said that there's a hundred, there's a trillion dollars of unlocked value because of the cloud. They should be broken up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I tend to agree. Um, so I, I can't find anything wrong with it. I'm not owning it. I'd rather buy more Intel at these levels, to be honest with you. Um, but good question, Mikhail. Thanks for sending it in. Roy Rogers need some, hi Tom, need some advice here. I'm structurally bullish on oil in the long term, especially the drill bits and equipment. My thinking is that an increase in energy prices, um, will shift the SRAS, which is the short-run aggregate supply, to the left, reducing output and increasing prices. Um, it, therefore, if aggregate demand does not change, the central bank has no other choice to get more ink for the printing press, higher money supply. Sla slack in the economy. Well, I'm, I don't know that I agree with that statement, but... Okay, slack in the economy, put downward pressure on input prices, shifting SRAS back. In other words, in order for Brazil to have a stronger bullish lens needs a weaker dollar. Well, I think you're going to get a weaker dollar. I know that's non-consensus right now, but uh, I stand by that. I said, you know, six months out at the end of last year, we were likely to see a weaker versus a stronger dollar. And I think that's going to play out uh, since it's commodity driven. Trying to find a bearish thesis and definitely is a stronger dollar. Someone is selling stone hard. That's the one that he brought up last week. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. It may be my market psychology. Howard Marks alludes to. Thanks again for the insight, Roy. So I reached out to Investor Relations after the uh, podcast last week. 
and, and uh, after I found the short thesis. So the short thesis was something put out here on October 27th from Viceroy Research. They put these things out. They short the stock. Uh, hopefully they don't cover. That would be illegal. There are investigations into that. But they, they put these out. And basically there, there was a, after an F, a raid by the FBI in conjunction with the Department of Homeland Security on PACS, uh, Global Technologies, Florida offices, we have found serious concern for the operational integrity of both PagSeguro, which is a Brazilian payment processor, and StoneCo, which is a Brazilian payment processor. We've been keeping an eye on the two companies for some time, but the recent developments have prompted us to publish this brief note. Both PAGS and StoneCo are dependent on the Chinese company Pax Global Technology Limited for the POS terminals. Uh, yesterday, Pax technology locations were raided by the FBI sources, reporting that the machines have been used as malware droppers in command and control locations. We expect PAGS to be subject to significant regulatory action and scrutiny, with the clear possibility of legal action against the company by various counterparties, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so, so this, the, the stock collapsed in concert with this report. The problem is, is that they don't do much business in the U.S. So I emailed them and said, hey, is there any merit to this report? I sent them the short report. Uh, and what impact, if any, will it have on your business in Brazil? I'm trying to understand the, any downside before building a, a material position in your company. Please call or email with any thoughts. So they emailed back and they said, hi, Thomas, we did not identify any data leakage in any terminal. We currently count on six uh, point of sale hardware suppliers, which I thought like what idiot company would have one point of sale supplier to enable our offline clients to accept electronic payments with PACs being one of those six. The, so, so basically the, the stock's down 90 some odd percent and it's uh, you know, one sixth of the business maximum. The PAX POS used in our operations run on our proprietary software application. It's, it's used in our operations run on our proprietary software applications for payments. Those applications are homo-located by the main card schemes in Brazil. All POS software used in our operations is PCI certified. Stone has been diversifying its POS supplier base, for instance, we are no longer purchasing new POS devices from PAX for our SMB solution for a few months, with PAX still being a relevant supplier of new terminals for our micro mer merchant solution TON. Stoneco is compliant with Sarbanes-Oxley and Brazilian Central Bank standards. So I guess that was also part of the thesis. I said, uh, at these levels, why aren't you buying back a ton of stock? They have a $200 million buyback authorization from last year. I'm not sure why they haven't added more. They probably haven't used it up. But right now, they're in a blackout period, which is why I had this Yahoo Finance up. I think they report in early March. Uh, S-T-N-E. So the question is, you know, Buffett always says that great opportunities come around when high quality businesses are surrounded by unusual circumstances. This is an unusual circumstance. The question is whether is whether or not this is a high quality business. Uh, you know, I, I love the pain, but this is this is trading like it's going bankrupt. And it's a complex business to understand because whenever you're dealing with consumer credit, there's all kinds of risks that are very hard to understand. So my inclination is to put this in the too hard pile. Uh, but I'd also be very comfortable having having a small position uh, in it. 
um, and, uh, and, and just to watch it and then build as I see things happen. So uh, that's kind of my takeaway. It's kind of too cheap to ignore, but have to keep drilling down to find out why is this thing going bankrupt or what, why do people believe this is going bankrupt and why is it not the case? And, and I think that part of the reason this stock is down is not really relevant what, what the FBI does in the U.S. regarding some Chinese terminals that you know, no one really cares about. So um, this may prove to be interesting. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a little flyer on it and, um, and do more research. I had uh, Carter take a look at it. Uh, but 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 this this is this is a hairy one, and this should go in the too hard box. But it's so cheap that it's it's worth pursuing. So um, you know, I know you haven't gotten anything back to me on your research. Why don't you do that, and then we can explore it further in coming weeks. Um, Rich C, listen to your podcast. Very good analysis on Baba. Agree on all points. One question I haven't heard you address is the risk around the VIE ADR structure. As I understand it, the VIE structure is technically illegal in China. If the CCP chose to enforce that policy, what would happen to the ADRs held by the U.S. shareholders? I realize the structure has existed for some time, but the CCP has shifted dramatically in the last 12 months on a number of long-term policies and practices, not overly concerned about the other regulatory threats, i.e. the need for their auditors to be subject to PCAOB inspection, but the ability for the CCP to pull the rug out of it, this structure unilaterally is concerning. Appreciate your thoughts. So, um, we, so first off, welcome, Rich. You're obviously a new viewer. We have covered this a lot in, in the past. Um, so we own the, um, the, we shifted to, so the, the U.S. ADRs, the BABA, are fungible to the Hong Kong shares 9988. We shifted over. Uh, you can just shift uh, at any time, actually. There's, there was no real reason to do it at, at any one time, but we just wanted to focus on the business and not worry about all the noise that was uh, uh, at a crescendo about a month ago regarding this issue. So we own the Hong Kong shares, which are technically safer than the U.S. shares. But um, uh, Al, uh, Bung, Mung, Charlie Mungo was out yesterday talking about it, and he owns the uh, U.S. shares, the BABA. And they're just fine. They're interchangeable. You don't lose any value. It's an exchange I think 11 to 1 or something like that. Uh, and we can shift back at any time for a nominal uh, change. So if you're worried about that, just own the Hong Kong shares. Uh, we have some derivatives on the U.S. shares. So we're not terribly concerned about that. Um, uh, but, um, you know, good, good question. And, um, and that's how you alleviate that uh, issue. Uh, okay, Roy. Uh, excellent game. Throughout, okay, I guess he's referring to the Super Bowl. I suppose a learning lesson from the game was that we get one chance, maybe in three to four chances, in the third and fourth need to capitalize. Stick with the mongerism, patience, decisiveness, preparation, discipline. What are your thoughts on SRAD? You asked me about this one, uh, and his thesis here is that a famous pension plan is invested. So uh, the pension plan is the Canadian pension plan. They own 90%. 90% of this stock, um, which seems like a lot, uh, it's only 1%, 1.8% of their total assets outstanding that they report. Um, I don't like this type of stock because, the, uh, so, so Canadian pension plan, by the way, they are the last reason you should be investing in this stock. They they are historically not great stock pickers. Uh, they don't 
I wouldn't go so far to say that they would be a contraindicator, uh, but it's something to keep in mind. And none of these other names uh, are terribly uh, overweight, the name, with the exception of these two, and these two I'm not familiar with. Uh, and if they were great, great, great stock pickers, I would, I would know them and I'd be a lot more interested. That said, it doesn't uh, preclude us from taking a look at it. My issue is, uh, and I've said this on past podcasts, I generally don't play uh, with companies that don't have a meaningful history of financial information. So I've only got two years here of financial data, and that, that's really not enough for me to understand how management operates through ups and downs and uh, how the business operates through cycles. So, you know, it's got a crappy return on equity, very high gross margins. They supply software to all the gamers, which is kind of what's interesting about it is that they're not one of the uh, online gamblers because that area is getting saturated. They are a picks and shovels for that, which is interesting. So uh, it warrants more research, but uh, for me, it goes in the too hard box because I don't have enough data to analyze. I haven't seen the trend of the business. You know, people can get rich on doing IPOs. It's it's not my game. Uh, I, I like more established businesses, and when they get out of favor, I get to buy a high-quality business at a discount due to unusual circumstances. That's my thing. So I'm a pass, not because I don't like the business, but because I don't have enough information to make a, a good decision other than guessing and gambling because the IPO is down, you know, maybe I, I'm, I'm getting it cheaper than the people who bought it at the initial offering. Who cares? Uh, that doesn't help. So um, if you want to send more detailed research that I could take a look at, I'd, I'd be happy to do that, but we're not going to spend time on it uh, in our shop. So uh, Brady, Todaro, Tom, you've recently been trimming your energy position. Do you feel companies that engage in energy infrastructure, logistical assets, and distribution of fuel service like MPLX could be a good play within the current state of oil prices and possible geopolitical con conflict in Eastern Europe. Uh, second question, what will it take for wind resorts to distribute a dividend again? Uh, number one, I don't want a dividend from wind. I want them to grow in Macau. And the, what's going to take for that to happen is for Omicron to die down. Hong Kong is doing testing every one of its um, citizens this week. Uh, so they're on top of it quickly. The pent-up demand is serious, and it's going to explode to the upside as that once it's opened. And it's just a longer waiting game than expected because they've had the zero COVID policy. But we're going to talk about that because they just approved the Pfizer COVID pill, which tells us that they might be more inclined uh, to um, drop their zero COVID policy. Otherwise, why would you need a COVID pill? Um, uh, effectively so because uh, that pill is designed to like let everyone go back to work if you get if you get it then just take the pill and in, in a couple of days you're, you're feeling better like you know tamiflu and that type of thing so uh, so that's the answer on when on the um on the um midstream companies uh we own energy transfer so yeah we like the midstreams better here i you know if you have to put money to work in energy today i like the servicers because the uh, demand, the rig count's going to continue to go up now that prices are high. And I like some of the midstream, like uh, energy transfer, uh, MPLX, let me see. Um, I mean, the, 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 this has moved quite a bit. So, like, if you're just buying the dividend, I, I, I wouldn't be inclined, you know. 
Um, I, you know, we, we were buyers of all this stuff in the fall and, and the, the midstreams have not moved nearly as much as the EOPs, exploration and production. Um, you know, in the short term, well, anyway, later in the call, we're going to go through the, uh, one of our metrics on the energy sector and uh, why we think in the short term that it's it's overdone. But I, I just don't understand at this stage why everyone is so eager. Please give me one energy name that you would still buy. Like, wh why are you trying to catch the quarter in front of the steamroller? Why, why would you want to pick that up when you could buy Chinese tech with a moat that no one wants? You can get them for, you know a third of their intrinsic value. Uh, same with some of the biotech. Like if you can't handle the volatility and you want to buy something that's up, but that's not, you know, that's not this game. Look, there are people that trade small accounts and, and make good returns buying breakouts and that type of thing, but they never have any, man any money under management. So they trade their personal account and they make a couple million bucks a year and they're happy and they, you know, give half to the government because it's all ordinary income. Uh, and there are very few of them that can do that well, but there are some. Um, you know, that's you have to find a style that fits your personality. We buy things that are out of favor so we can lean in size, that have a margin of safety, and then we wait. We sit through the volatility. If it moves against us, we add more. Uh, and then when it gets to double or triple when everyone else wants it, we help them out and we lay it off. It's it's not complicated. We sell to those people buying the buying the breakout. They get the last you know, nickel or dime in front of the steamroller and, and we got the 90 cents. So that's, that's how we think about it. Uh, but anyway, I, I think that's a great question because uh, if we were forced to put money into new money into energy, we definitely still consider the servicers uh, as the rig count goes up and some of the midstream maybe, uh, but the E&P I think are due for a pullback here. Uh, and what, whatever will be the catalyst, whether it's Russia, whether it's Iran, makes no difference. Uh, it's just, it's, that's how it's set up. It's, it's sucking in the last marginal buyers and then it'll just flush them out and the trap door will open, whether it's two days from now or two months from now. Uh, that, that's how we uh, see it in the short term. And when we may very well use that opportunity to load back up if it's a material enough drop, but um, uh, that, that's, that's where we we're thinking about it for, for now. Um, I can't find the question. Someone asked me about, I don't know where the question went. It must've gone together, but someone asked about, um, you know, PayPal and Netflix and Facebook given the huge precipitous drop and our thoughts on tech of late. And I'm sorry, I'm not getting your name right here. We just got a lot of questions. Um, but anyway, at least I'll get the substance of your question right. Thanks for sending that out. Uh, and the answer is, you know, PayPal is now at 25 times. It's going to grow at about that pace. I think PayPal is cheap enough here. Uh, it's worth to start to nibble, and especially as you see the thesis 
that I'm going to cover as far as tech. Everyone's dumped tech. Uh, overweight exposure is now at uh, below 2008 levels, and that was the, the beginning of a huge, huge move. Uh, Facebook's trading at 16 times. I said last week, I think anywhere between 180 and 220 this range, if you can slowly build a position, I think it starts to make sense. It's too cheap. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is, uh, he's a moneymaker. He's not going to keep spending on, on Meta if he can't get a return. Uh, and, um, you know, they were buying back a lot of stock at 320. Uh, I don't think that's a reason. Like, I don't think they felt the stock was cheap at 320. I think that in part, the sad part about it is Mark was selling into that. So they were probably actually creating liquidity for Mark, which is a little disgusting. But um, leaving that aside, they do have a lot of cash to buy back stock. And I think at these levels, uh, we could see them step in. And um, I, I think these start to get attractive. You know, people have left them for dead. I think that uh, Dan Loeb is now um, topping up on Amazon. So you're seeing Facebook, Amazon. These are the ones that have underperformed. PayPal. Some of these are getting uh, attractive at these levels. And uh, you don't want to lean in all at once because they're still falling knives. But starting to build a position and paying attention to them, I think the tide is going to shift. I th- you know, with six plus rate hikes already priced into the short end of the curve. I don't think we're going to get six, uh, certainly not in this year for sure. Uh, And I think anything less, the worst case scenario is kind of priced into the uh, bond market. I think anything less than that, uh, these things just start to rip, biotech included and some some of these high quality techs. I still think you stay away from the high price to sales. You know, it's interesting. Kathy Wood was on... um, CNBC halftime today uh, for about an hour. Her portfolio is down you know, 57% or 54% in the last 12 months. And she was defending her ideas. And I just threw her top 40 stocks in, into um, kind of a you know, charting service that I use, stock charts, and just to look at them all really quickly. And it's interesting because they all looked like they were bottoming, like, you know, areas where like just on a technical basis, not knowing anything, I'd be like, oh, that looks like it's overdone. That looks like it's overdone. So it looks like she set up for a bounce. And then I went through like 20 of them and I, I couldn't get my arms around buying any of them. I mean, even with their fast revenue growth rate, like there was one that had $74 million in sales and was trading at $5 billion dollars. Uh, every single one of them were trading at like 10 to 20 times sales. Now, I'm taking the under on rates, but in a rising rate environment, the real issue is I think that she is correct about some of these technologies will revolutionize the world. There's no question about it. But, but the risk is because so few of these are earning money, they're not generating positive cash flow, is that as the cost of capital increases even modestly, it's going to be very hard for them to continue to raise money to fund their dream, to fund that future. So in other words, their process may be correct and they may get stopped out and blow up their account, so to speak, in that they can't continue to raise capital the same way they could when, when money was free and uh, there was somewhat of a misallocation. So... Uh, out of the 40 I went through, there was only one that I could get comfortable around the valuation and, and, and the whole thing, NVTA. Um, and it's not something I would even lean into, but it's, it's interesting. But we already have enough biotech exposure. 
Um, so this was the only one that made any sense to me from a valuation. It's not to say that her whole thing can't bounce uh, and, and work. And, and I think that when all is said and done, um, there, there will be some success. So in other words, even if half the portfolio that she currently has goes bankrupt because they can't raise capital, there will be enough in the other half of the portfolio that are up you know, 3x, 5x, 10x to pick up the slack. Uh, the question is, is what are the timing of the losers versus the winners? And that's, you know, that's a risky game and there's no precedent for it. So you have to be right. And um, so, th- so that was my big takeaway. But I, I, I hope she does extremely well. She has done extremely well historically. Um, uh, I met her in Florida uh, over the summer. Extremely nice lady. She has a house at a town over here in Connecticut. Um, and and um, I, I like, you know, the, the thing that I like about her style is a lot of people that have these uh, kind of high multiple strategies, they're always buying the top. And at least she buys these stocks when they're broken down, which I think is more interesting. She likes to buy them when, when they're down 50 and 60%. So, so that, that may be what sets her apart. And, you know, three to five years out, everything that she says comes true. And she is able to get that uh, compound annual growth rate. But, um, you know, uh, very, very hard to predict. But, um, but I, I wouldn't bet against her. Uh, but, but I, I just couldn't get comfortable. It, it's a different style, different strokes for different folks. I, I just couldn't get comfortable with belief over, over, over metrics. Um, and, um, but there's a lot of money made that way. So, you know, the difference, you know, you think about Amazon that was down 90% in 2020, 2001. And to answer the question from the other guy about, uh, SRAD, you know, in 2021, you could, I think uh, Amazon IPO'd in, in, in tw- 2001, I think Amazon IPO'd in 1994. So you had seven years of financial data when the stock was down 90% that you could say, wait a second, their return on capital is fine. They're still growing the top line consistently in line with their historic trend despite the recession. Uh, the fundamentals of the business are, are improving on every metric. And you could step in because you had that historic data. These companies that are like a year and two years public, you're just, it's more of, it's, it's, it's higher risk is what I'm saying. Um, so here's an article from Andrew Barry. I love the whole story here about, um, you know, he's basically making the TACE. It's trading at 16 times. It's, it's the cheapest multiple it's ever been at. Um, uh, they were buying back shares. So I think, you know, the PayPal, the Netflix, the Amazon, the um, Meta, I think you can start to nibble and uh, you'll probably get more chances to buy them in, in coming weeks with, with volatility, you know, into that first rate hike. Uh, and then we're going to see some data in the article of the week that shows that tech has a tendency to outperform after the first rate hike, which no market participant is positioned for uh, and uh, is going to be very surprised by, I think, uh, moving forward. So what I loved about this uh, Dan Loeb thesis on Amazon sees roughly a trillion dollars of untapped value is he's saying split up the 
uh, AWS and run that separately. The same thing could happen with Alibaba. The growth rate of um, uh, AliCloud uh, is growing faster than AWS. Uh, that could be another way that Alibaba winds up unlocking value and um, maybe creates a smaller footprint in the eyes of the Chinese communist government. Then you have Alipay, you have um, AliCloud, and you have Alibaba, th those three parts, and you start to add them up and people start to see the discrete values, and that's how you could get up to three, $400 very quick. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's a great parallel to what Dan Loeb's talking about with, um, with Amazon here in the U.S., so uh, moving on to Alibaba, Jack Denton wrote a great article about earnings coming up on Thursday, February 24th for Alibaba. So, uh, and he talks about the wild ride. Obviously, the Chinese consumer has been uh, very weak. The China National Bureau of Statistics reported slowing retail uh, sales growth of consumer goods in October and November. Um, uh, investment banking firm Benchmark also showed December may have been weak. So the consumer is going to be weak. The market should know that. But um, I think that's the last final hurdle we have to get over. Uh, it could be a catalyst to the upside. But the key four metrics that he's uh, pointing out to look for is gross merchandise volume. Uh, we want to see analysts expect GMV to come in near $403 billion. It's most ever and 10% more than the same quarter a year ago. Uh, consumer, consumer customer management revenue, CMR, uh, made up 36% of Alibaba's total sales in its most recent quarter. CMR comes from services like marketing on Alibaba's platform and is expected to slow if merchants trim their budgets. The company reported 11.1 billion in CMR in the September quarter, so that's the second number to watch. The third is um, international commerce. This is huge part of the growth story, represents a growing segment for Alibaba and one that analysts at Goldman Sachs and others are bullish on. Expectations are for $2.5 in revenue from international sales, up 6% from the September quarter and 16% higher than a year ago. Uh, and uh, I mean, this is amazing when you think about up 16% in the face of all of these uh, regulatory issues. And then cloud computing is the fourth number to watch. Um, increasingly important segment for Alibaba when it last reported quarter results. Cloud revenues of $3.1 billion represented 33% of annual growth. Similar growth momentum in cloud would be a welcome bonus when Alibaba reports. And I think that's the name of the game is I, th I think expectations are low on the retailing side because of the zero COVID policy, all the shutdowns, all the uncertainty uh, issues with uh, the Olympics, etc. But if the cloud grows, I think the street's going to like that and, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, Ray Dalio's Bridgewater boosts its bets on China uh, in his late teen, latest 13F filing. Bridgewater Associates uh, showed that the firm boosted the number of shares it held in Alibaba by 29% in the fourth quarter to uh, take its holding in the Chinese internet services giant to the eighth highest spot in its portfolio. Uh, they do get my weekly notes, by the way. <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, I'd like to take credit for that, but he's been in China for 40 years. He knows it, uh, he knows it pretty well. Uh, okay, Charlie Munger's Daily Journal scored a 15 times return on a stock and used margin debt to invest $87 million last quarter. So they finally realized a 15 times return on BYD, which is a Chinese stock 
that Lilu gave to Munger a number of years ago. Uh, so they took that off and they put the money into uh, more Alibaba and that, that $50 million, And then they took on another $37 million of margin debt to buy more Alibaba. And this is a guy who uh, he and Buffett always talk about never using margin debt. Uh, yesterday, he was at the Daily Journal meeting. He's like, well, you know, uh, sometimes you got to use a little margin debt. And he did it to double down on his double down of Alibaba. So um, that tells you the level of conviction. And um, uh, and that's that. Next, uh, he was asked a number of questions in the interview yesterday. But the key quote that we're going to cover right now is, uh, in China, the companies we invest in are stronger relative to their competition and price lower. We get more strength per dollar invested. That's why we are in China. So that was uh, a key quote on the, the China stuff. And here are some more quotes. Um, okay, so, all right, we... Okay, so there was someone asking, you know, could my stuff get confiscated, blah, blah, blah. So Munger says, I'm reading the transcript. We invested some money in China because we could get more value in terms of the strength of the enterprise and the price of the security than we could get in the United States. Other people, including Sequoia, the leading venture capital firm in the United States, have made the same decisions we have. I am sympathetic. He's talking that uh, Jeffrey Gunlack is nervous. So that the question was jeffrey gunlack says china's uninvestable why are you investing all of our daily journal money in alibaba uh, so he says as far as uh gunlack i'm sympathetic that he's nervous he does not have to join us different strokes for different folks um i cannot criticize his point of view i just reached a different conclusion uh, okay next one question comes from bill roberts he says charlie you and warren have been making concentrated investments since the 1950s many of these investments have led to gains but more impressively none of them have led to significant losses as far as i can tell neither of you have lost more than a few percentage points of equity in any single investment well, that, that's not entirely true but uh close enough it it has taken an additional you've taken an additional 49 million dollars and margin debt to make investments what makes you sure that these investments will not to lead to a substantial impairment of daily journals, equity capital, which can impact the ability to invest the resources needed to operate the software business? Of course, if you invest in securities uh, coming... Uh, okay, so this transcript is not perfect, but if you invest in securities, the risk that they go down, you lose money instead of make it. But if you hold a depreciating currency that is losing purchasing power on balance, we prefer the risk we have to those that we are avoiding and we do not mind a bit of margin debt. So he's referring to the extra 37 million of margin debt to buy more Alibaba. Um, we have a lot of questions about China risk. He's interested in your take on China and Chinese exposure for the long term. Uh, could be banned by, from doing the business, blah, blah, blah. Consider okay. Uh, considering the risk, why would anyone as smart as Munger or Buffett consider investing in China or China's company? So the questioner had all the litany of the VIE structure, the communist government shutting things down, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, Munger's response was, in China, the companies we invest in are stronger relative to the competition and priced lower. That's why we are in China. <laughs> uh, then another one about the 
communist government. He said uh, the Chinese government is worrying all of the capitalists in the world more than it used to. And of course, we do not like that. We wish that China and the United States got along better. And if you stop and think about it, both China and the United States have a, have, uh, a lot, I guess, to lose if the existing tensions arise. What bad, what bad is ever going to happen to China or the United States if we are close? Uh, make good friends out of the Chinese, vice versa. Who is ever going to bother us? Of course, we should make friends with China, get along with people who have a different system of government. Uh, okay, so that's, those are the basic uh, uh, key points from Munger's interview yesterday. We posted the link in the article of the week. Now some headlines on China. Uh, PBOC pumped more liquidity into the market this week, spurring gains in China stocks. Uh, they added another $15.7 billion into the banking system with their medium-term lending facility while leaving the borrowing rate unchanged. Uh, so they're going to continue to do this into the China National Congress. And given the domestic turbulence now, and we're going to cover a couple of those things, he really has to do it because that third term is no longer a guaranteed thing. There's, there's rising uh, dis disillusionment among the populist uh, with the way things have gone since they cracked down. It always comes down to money. You know, you, you screw people's job prospects through whether it's zero COVID policy, shutting down an industry of hundreds of thousands of jobs, uh, the slowing down the economy and housing, and people get upset, they start complaining, and they look for faults because they want relief, and the relief is not coming from you, so they look to get it from someone else, and that's a huge risk between now and November for Xi, and he knows it, and he's got to juice things back up. He overshot to the downside last summer. So China tech stocks outlook improves year after the $1.5 trillion route. Some indicators suggest Chinese tech names are good to buy now. Tech rally started to fall apart uh, in February of 2021 on the crackdown. Uh, let's see here. Okay, Hang Seng Tech Index is trading at historically low valuation. We know all that. Uh, you can see it here. The key thing here was the um, earnings forecast for uh, Hang Seng Tech Index. The 12-month earning estimates have, have really started to jump since November. They're up about 12% uh, actually since early September. So, you know, while you see the S&P 500 slowly climbing to 224, uh, you see Hong Kong tech, they're ripping higher. So the worst of it, analysts are saying it's going to get better and better towards the back half of the year. And provided uh, Baba's guidance is reasonable and their cloud business was strong, I think uh, the market's going to like it on the 24th. So, uh, but those are the earnings, starting to see some inflows, uh, short interest dropping. So that's uh, more good news. Next, uh, tech giants push toward an $8 trillion metaverse opportunity, one that will be highly regulated. Uh, Tencent and Alibaba and ByteDance are going to be among the anointed few by the Chinese government that pushes the metaverse. That's a positive thing that, that uh, increases Alibaba's moat. From Credit Suisse to Goldman Sachs, investment say, banks say it's time to buy Chinese stocks. Uh, more international investment analysis says it's time to buy Chinese stocks. Bernstein and Goldman Sachs have released thick reports on the investability of Chinese shares. Um, Credit Suisse upgraded China to overweight, reversing a downgrade of stocks about 12 months ago. Um, uh, they expect regulatory uncertainties to subside after a national parliamentary meeting in March and, um, and remain muted at least until after the Chinese Communist Party National Congress in the fourth quarter. So uh, there's a national parliamentary meeting in... 
March, so they'll get rid of all the any remaining regulatory uncertainty. They'll keep things quiet, juice everything up into November, and then after that, if they want to crack down again, they, they may do that. Um, Bernstein says China is uninvestable no more. 172-page report entitled China's Equities Uninvestable No More. We believe there's a case to add back China exposure to global portfolios for six key reasons. Uh, pointed to expectations for growth in new financing, easier monetary policy, more attractive stock valuations relative to the rest of the world, uh, rare opportunity to pick stocks, growing foreign inflows and increased earnings. Uh, HSBC, uh, investors too bearish on China. Uh, Okay, uh, stronger USD is not good news for China stock markets. That's going to change in my view, but that's not well known. That, but that's now that's well known and priced in. Even good blue chip stocks are now trading at attractive valuations. Goldman um, valuations remain below the Wall Street target of 14.5% uh, price to earnings ratio. They're at about 12. Uh, 89-page report uh, Goldman put out on Sunday, why China A shares have become more investable for global investors. And then UBS from underweight to overweight, that's a big upgrade, uh, and so on. So, uh, so sentiment is turning, that's good. That'll get institutional flows coming in. As that comes in, opinion will follow trend. The, here's the China's approval of the Pfizer pill, opens the door for ending COVID zero. Um, surprise nod makes Paxlovid its first Western COVID medicine. Experts suggest the move may presage action on reopening versus doing this zero COVID shutdown cities and crush consumer confidence and consumer sentiment. Chinese graduates opt for gig work as job outlook worsens. This is a function of the crackdown on a lagged effect. We said this was going to happen. It's happened and uh, the natives are getting restless. So, um, uh, that's that. The other thing, China's anti-graph show is educational with unintended lessons. A documentary created to celebrate the success of Chinese anti-corruption campaign instead has aired the dirty, dirty laundry of the Chinese Communist Party. There are like 140-page uh, internal political documents of showing uh, unease with President Xi going into the China National Congress. So he's going to do you know, the number one job of any one, any one politician is to get reelected. He's going to do everything he possibly can before November to juice this thing back up. And with Alibaba's weight, they're going to be a major beneficiary in our view. Uh, why some Chinese are lying flat and what that means. So uh, because of the slowdown, um, Chinese are uh, making it it's making it harder for strivers to get ahead. Some have decided to drop out of the rat race entirely, spawning a movement, movement known as Lie Flat. Its adherents are tired of the stress that comes from working long hours and the family and societal pressures to keep climbing the ladder. Some see the phenomenon as a warning of an impending Japanese-style stagnation. Others argue it's akin to the 1960s counterculture movements with young people seeking a less demanding society that's more focused on personal development. Uh, why is this happening? The 996, 9, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week, etc., uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et but this puts Xi Jinping in a box again. He's got to create jobs. He's got to juice the economy. And the best way to do that is with your national treasures, which are Alibaba, JD, and Tencent. Um, China's biggest chip maker, SMIC, post record revenue despite U.S. sanctions. That came out this week. That's great to see. Um, because 
uh, Alibaba has their new chip in the cloud segment and uh, that, that tells me that the enterprise spending is looking good and that could be very positive for Alibaba's earnings on the cloud and chip side, which would be really, really good. Uh, Hong Kong stock, stocks climb as China eases uh, on China easing bets, meaning they're going to have more accommodative policy moving forward, which we agree with. Uh, and it goes into some of that. This is um, the paper owned by Alibaba called the South China Morning Post. And then Alibaba, this is very interesting. Alibaba, this came out today, and it was up like $3 uh, this morning when the market was down modestly, uh, traded up to 129.40 on the US ADR, and then the whole market rolled over on this um, China, uh, Russian noise. And um, uh, I, I don't know where, where it's closing. Uh, it's 4.30 now. Okay, so I'll see where it closed. The, the point is that... Um, Alibaba said to launch direct online retail model to complement Taobao Tmall platforms amid increased competition, weak consumer spending. The new app uh, will be launched via Tmall, will establish an online retail mo model in which Alibaba will directly source, buy, store, and market goods. A number of consumer electronic brands have already started talks with Alibaba ahead of this launch. This is a direct shot across the bow at JD. So it wants to take some of JD's share in this particular vertical. And since they did the restructuring, making managers of all the different divisions, now they can do these things more nimbly without all the bureaucracy at the top. I think that's going to be a very positive thing, and the market liked it this morning. I'm sure the market liked uh, Charlie Munger's comments, and the fact he took out margin debt to buy more Alibaba uh, uh, was also a vote of confidence. Uh, when will the China be the world's biggest economy? Maybe never. This speaks to my... Uh, thoughts that I've been sharing in recent weeks about their uh, population headwind. Uh, I do think they're going to have one last run, big run up here, but everyone worried about them being the largest economy in the world. I think it's premature. And the reason is right here, uh, the China population demographics. By 2050, the China population is expected to drop from 935 million to somewhere between 671 million to 769 million. Uh, they're an aging population. This exact same thing, same thing happened to Japan. The tell for this will be uh, in their last hurrah when they start making bids on Rockefeller Center and uh, some of the trophy properties in the U.S. And everyone says they're going to take over our country. Uh, that should be the last uh, breath before they go into a lost decade or two like, like, um, like Japan did. But in the meantime, I think they've got one huge run left in them based on the if you overlay the Japanese demographics before they rolled over and the Chinese demographics before they're going to roll over we've got a few more years and the parabolic moves always happen at, in the last few years so that's that now U.S. amps up Ukraine warnings as Russia says no invasion planned uh, this, this is this is an odd scenario because you know, 48 hours ago, it seemed like this thing was behind us. And uh, by the way, if you're on the podcast, you're going to get cut off. We have a lot more important stuff to cover this week. I don't know why there was so much content. I guess we had a lot of questions this week. So just go to hedgefundtips.com. Scroll down to the video cast. You'll see a YouTube video. Fast forward to minute 60. You will pick up word for word where you left off. And you'll be able to see the last 20 minutes where we get into the article of the week, which is the most important part. So... Um, 
So, so it looked like that was over. And then the U.S. is coming out saying, like, the minute Russia says, okay, you know, we're basically going to pull back, U.S. comes out and says, no, they're not pulling back. They're attacking. And it's odd. I mean, there are satellite images, so there is some objective reality to all this. But they haven't attacked and they could have attacked. Uh, tells me that they're inclined, uh, you know, 